0: You're listening to the coffee hour, I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Today is our day to study uh, searching the scriptures in the Lutheran Witness December issue. We're going to do that in just a moment here. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at CQW.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: So if you're scrolling through the December issue, scrolling, that's, that's such a, <laughs> if you're flipping through the pages, uh, you might be scrolling, you might be looking at the electronic edition, but if you're flipping through the pages of uh, the December issue of the Lutheran Witness, great theme, great topics covered in this month. Uh, we have the privilege of uh, working through searching the scriptures. And this month, our guest is the Reverend Roy Askins, managing editor of the Lutheran Witness. Pastor Askins, thanks for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. Thank you
2: for having me again. It's good to be here.
0: It is good to get to study God's Word, and uh, let's dig in, because we got a lot of text to cover this <laughs> month. Before we dig in... Uh, where are we going with this? Uh, it, it's titled, God Comes for Scallywags.
2: Yes, God Comes for Scallywags. And that's a pastor's way of trying to make genealogies interesting. That's really what this boils down to. <laughs> uh, everybody knows how genealogies go. When you're reading through the scriptures, you get to like First Chronicles, right? And you're reading it. And First Chronicles, the first 10 chapters are just genealogies. So-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. Beget, so-and-so. And it gets really boring real quick. You kind of skim through the those and move on to the good stuff. And uh, we're tempted, especially as kind of modern uh, Christians, modern Americans, to look, to try to mine these things for information, but they tell a whole lot more. And so this really fits into the theme for December, because the December issue is all about how Christ comes in the flesh, and by his coming in the flesh, he fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Well, this is perfectly encapsulated in our genealogies that we see uh, in the New Testament, particularly one in Matthew and one in Luke. So we're going to dig through this. But what's fascinating as you look through these genealogies is that Jesus has a very colored genealogy Uh, When you look at his past, I mean, it it has people like David in it, right? I mean, David was the man after God's own heart. But as we'll dig into, uh, Matthew actually lists the 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 birth uh, as as uh, marking David's sin, right? David by the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, you'll learn as you look at these genealogies that Jesus has a very colored past, and what that tells us is that this is precisely who Christ came for. He came to die for the very sinners that fill his own genealogy. So. Uh, God comes for scallywags. That's uh, that's the idea there.
1: <laughs> so we we are purposely digging into these long lists of names today, but it will yes. not be boring at all because there are some very interesting things we're going to be digging into. So, exactly, let's do it. Uh, question one: Compare Matthew one with Luke three twenty three to thirty eight. Where does Matthew begin and end, and what about Luke? And why might they tell the genealogy differently? So how what, what parts of, those, of that scripture would you like to read for us, Pastor?
2: <laughs> so what we'll dig into, let's actually start with the uh, Matthew reading first. So Matthew chapter one, we're not going to do the whole thing. Uh, we'll grab uh, just a few sections. I'll summarize the rest and we'll move on from there. So Matthew chapter one, verse one, and the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then move to verse 2. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and so forth, all the way down through that list. All the way till we get to verse 15 and 16. Uh, 16 here. And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And so between those two readings there from Matthew 1 verse 1 and 1 verse 16 to 17, we've got all the list of names that includes people like David, uh, the king of Dave, uh, David, the king of Israel, um, and, uh, and wonderful people like Josiah and all these guys in the middle there. So that's kind of Matthew's genealogy um and luke's genealogy he actually begins in reverse so if we go to luke chapter 3 verse 23 he begins with jesus and then works his way the other direction right matthew begins with abraham works down to jesus luke begins with jesus and works to god luke chapter 3 verse 23 jesus when he began his ministry was about 13 years of age being the son, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli, right? Because we know Jesus was born of Mary. She was a virgin, so he wasn't the biological descendant of Joseph, but Joseph was, was his father. And so from there, Luke works through all these wonderful names, you know, Maath and Mattathias and Simeon and Joseph, all the way down to verse 37 and 38. Uh, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Okay, so those those are the two texts that we're working with, and uh, and a quick summary of, of what's in there.
0: Hmm. That is that's fascinating. I never really paid attention to the fact that Luke works backwards from Jesus, and Matthew works forward. That's really
2: fascinating. Hmm. And so, the, yeah, and the, the, this, what's fascinating is also why he does it, right? They're emphasizing two totally different things, right? So you have Matthew. Sorry, can I just dive right onto the question now, or, or should sure. I wait for you guys to ask go go Question two,
0: it. is that what we're heading to? Yeah.
2: We're, we're still in question one. Oh, question so, one, okay. I, yeah, so here, um, why why is it organized this way? Well, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, uh, Jewish audience and and first uh, there in the first century Palestine, and he's emphasizing Jesus's role as the Christ, right, the promised Messiah. We're going to dig into that word uh, later on in another question, but he's pointing out, look who Jesus is. He is the son of Abraham, just like all those around him would have identified with, right? These are all Jews. They are all descendants of Abraham. This is the son of Abraham. And the son of David. Now, uh, the people knew the promise that there was going to be given to David a son who would reign on his throne forever, right? And of course, uh, right after David, you have King Solomon, but King Solomon doesn't reign forever. So that prophecy points to something beyond Solomon, it points to Jesus Christ, right? So in writing this genealogy this way, Matthew is making it clear that Jesus is the one who fulfills this promise. Uh, and that he is this descendant of Abraham and David who fulfills this promise to to reign on David's throne forever. Okay? So that's what he's doing. And once again, he's working from Abraham down. Now, Luke does it in reverse to bring a greater connection to the son of Adam and the son of God. Jesus is or Matthew is pointing out that this is that Jesus is the new Adam and that by incorporation into this new Adam, uh, we also become sons of God. And this is key as you look at where Matthew places, or not Matthew, Luke, places this genealogy. Uh, in Matthew, Matthew begins chapter one, verse one, with the genealogy, and then later on, he gets to the baptism of Jesus. But Luke uh, uh, goes from the baptism of Jesus to Jesus' genealogy, and then moves to the temptation. So, uh, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. So, Ma- Matthew and Mark go baptism, temptation. Luke goes baptism, genealogy temptation. Now, what's he doing here? He's drawing a connection to all those who are being baptized into Christ Jesus to say, this is now your genealogy. Your genealogy is the genealogy of Jesus, who is the son, the new son of Adam, right? And therefore also the son of God. And by incorporation into him, you are now incorporated also into this genealogy. A really fascinating way that he does that.
0: Hmm. All right. You ready to go? Uh, go on to question two? Sure. Let's go for it. Matthew begins his genealogy with Abraham. So take a look. Read Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, and Genesis chapter 17 and 18. What do we learn about Abraham from these passages?
2: So let's read Genesis. uh, We'll read Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20 in their entirety. So uh, Genesis chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter egypt he said to sarai his wife i i know you are a beautiful woman in appearance and when the egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me and they will let you live so say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake when abraham abram entered egypt the egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, uh, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So, fascinating thing that Abram does here, and helps us uh, once again fill out this uh, sense of the genealogy Of Jesus is filled with sinners. We see here Abram's own failure to trust in the Lord to provide for him, right? What he did was a really horrible thing. I mean, just imagine, right? You're you're, you're driving into, I don't know, a new country or a new state and you're like, dear, you're pretty beautiful and I'm afraid for my own life, right? (laughs) I'm not really so concerned about yours. I'm afraid that they're going to do something mean to me, right? So just tell them you're my sister. So it's all okay, right? Uh, he's failing to trust in the Lord to provide for him. And, um, and so he tells this lie to Pharaoh. And uh, Pharaoh, uh, of course, is like, well, hey, she's a sister, so I'm clear, right? Uh, invites her into his house uh, in order to make her his wife. And then, of course, uh, this, this thing happens. Um, now, in the end, the Lord does use it for Abram's good. He does uh, acquire all these flocks and sheep and oxen. But it's still not, uh, not a God-pleasing thing that Abram did here. Now, the reason why we also include Genesis 17 and 18 in this question is to show that in spite of his failure to trust in the Lord to provide for him, God still chose Abram to be the one through whom the promised Messiah would come. Once again, it's not Abram. This is just one sign of Abram's failures throughout his life uh, to trust in the Lord. He did this again later on in life uh, with Sarai a second time. And, uh, and he, there is some evidence that he, before God calls him, uh, to be to be the father of many nations. He was actually an idol worshiper and whatnot. So uh, there, there are many things that Abram struggled with, and yet in spite of his sinfulness, God still chose him uh, to be the one through whom the covenant uh, or the, the promise would come, the promised Messiah would come. And it is with him that God makes this everlasting covenant. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter 17 and 18. And even then, even though God chose him, we still see in Genesis chapter 17 and 18 how Abraham and Sarah, as they become in chapter 17, uh, also still um, don't fully trust the Lord. Uh, and his provision. So, uh, we all know the story of how, uh, Sarah is in the tent and the, in the tent laughing when God says, you know, she's going to have a child. She's 90 years old. Abraham is a hundred years old. And God says, you're going to have a child. And she laughs. Right. And then, and then she uh, thinks that she knows better. And she tells the Lord, I didn't laugh. He's like, no, you did laugh. Abraham also laughed. This is what we read in, uh, in chapter 17, when God tells him that, uh, that he's going to be the father of many nations, uh, as Abraham is laid down on the ground before him worshiping, Abraham laughs to himself, and God, God uh, calls him out on it, right? So even despite these failures to trust in the Lord to provide for him, uh, God still calls him and, and promises to send the Messiah through him, uh, through his seed, as his seed. We are looking
0: at searching the scriptures in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, and we're talking with the Reverend Roy Askins. He's managing editor of The Lutheran Witness. We have more to dig into in the, <laughs> the short remaining time, but we I promise we will do our best to cover it all. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth. Wow.
0: welcome back to the coffee hour i'm Eddie bates
1: i'm sarah Golseth. we're looking at the searching the scriptures in the december edition of the lutheran witness god comes for scallywags a lot of genealogical stuff which which sometimes can be a little uh maybe boring or daunting but there's so much here uh and and so many interesting things to learn about so we are we are on to question three now is that is that Good, Pastor?
2: That's correct.
1: All right. So, question three is four women are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy. Three of them have colorful stories. Read Genesis 38. Who is Tamar and how did Judah sin against her? Read Joshua 2. Who is Rahab? And read Samuel 2 11. Who was the wife of Uriah and what was David's sin with her? Who is the fourth woman? So, okay. where do you want to begin with this question, Pastor?
2: Let's start right away with Genesis chapter 38. And the story of Tamar. So the, the the four women, and actually, as I got to thinking, there's actually five women in the genealogy because you also have Mary, the mother of Jesus. But these uh, each of these four are uh, point to 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 Mary in some sense. So uh, the first is uh, Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah, and. Uh, According to the Old Testament regulations, when a, the eldest son of the family died without an heir, the next son would uh, marry his wife and provide an heir for his brother uh, if his, since his brother was dead. Okay? And, uh, and that heir would then take on the inheritance that his uh, father would have had in his father's place. So Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah, married to his oldest son. His oldest son dies. Uh, and so then his second son marries Tamar, and his second son also dies. And then his uh, he had the third son, uh, but he was afraid that his third son was also going to die. And so he withheld Tamar from his, from his um, third son. But then he does something wicked. Um, Tamar, in order to show the error... Um, Tamar and basically Tamar and Judah end up having an adulterous relationship uh, and in order to show Judah his failure to give his third son to, to Tamar. And here she is, um, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, this the offspring of this illicit union of this adulterous relationship, is in the very re- the lineage of Jesus Christ himself, right? Uh, Judah's failure, right? Judah's the, 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 uh, also promised in the genealogies in Genesis to be the one through whom the, the Lion of Judah would come, right? Um, he actually begets the Messiah through this illicit relationship. So that's the first story about Tamar. The second one is from Joshua chapter 2, and this is the story of Rahab. This is as the people of Israel, they've left Exodus, they're moving into the promised land, and uh, and they are uh, there in Joshua chapter 2, uh, getting ready to um, to start conquering the land, and they have to spy out the city of Jericho. And uh, the spies go in, they, they're spying out the city of Jericho, and in order, while they're hiding from the rulers in Jericho, they hide in the house of Rahab, who was also a prostitute. Uh, And so uh, Rahab hides them, protects them. And then in exchange, she asks them for their protection and uh, they have her hang a scarlet cord out of her window. And then when the city is destroyed, um, she and her family are kept safe uh, in this, in the, in the city. And then uh, the next story that we should uh, comment on, the next woman, was actually not, it's not named by her name, but once again, by David's failure, David's sin. Once again, David, the man after God's own heart, um, had, uh, uh, was walking out on his roof, uh, looked down and saw Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, as she was bathing, had um, uh, an, once again, an adulterous relationship with her. Uh, And they had a child, and this child, uh, the first child died, but the second child was Solomon. And here in the genealogy, once again, listed by the fruit of his illicit relationship, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah the Hittite, right? Once again, showing that God comes precisely to fix the problems of our sin, right? We screw everything up, and yet God uses these things uh, uh, for our own good. He, He comes, actually, he sends Jesus Christ to set the record straight. The third one is Ruth, and uh, Ruth was actually not even a Jew. Ruth was a Gentile. She was a Moabite, uh, descendants of of Lot by his daughters, uh, and they always were at odds with the people of Israel. In fact, God has some very specific condemnations to the people of Moab, uh, but Ruth was brought in and also then becomes, as a Gentile, one of the very, the, uh, very names in the genealogy of Jesus. So once again, the whole idea behind this is, uh, with these four women, the genealogy, that God comes uh, for all of us, especially in our sinfulness, right? This is precisely why he comes uh, to correct our sin.
0: Hmm. So Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. All correct. Right. All right, so let's go on to question four. The clock is ticking. Matthew, read Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Try to pronounce the names as best you can. And uh, who are these people? What does this tell us about who Jesus came to save?
2: This one will be quick. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And after the deportation to Babylon, here are the names. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiad, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob. Now, these are names are almost incomprehensible. I guarantee if you looked at the Hebrew, I would have butchered the names completely and entirely. And this is precisely the point. These people are nameless in the sense that their names are, they're not actually nameless, their names are lost to the mists of time and history. We don't know who they are, except for the fact that they're listed in this genealogy. Now, for most of us, like ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of people, our names are also going to be lost to to, to, to the myths of time, right? We're not going to have some name that totally changes the history of the world for most of us. And yet it is precisely for these people, the nameless people, such as you and I, that Christ comes to suffer and die, that we might be included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ as sons of God. Right, so these names are just not are not just meaningless names, but these are the names of those for whom Christ came to die, just like you and me, nameless people though we are.
1: So, speaking of the name Christ, moving on to question five, read Matthew one sixteen. What does Christ mean? And read Second Samuel twenty two fifty one. King David calls himself the Lord's anointed. How is Jesus like those anointed in the Old Testament? How is he different? So, what is what is Matthew one sixteen?
2: Matthew 1.16, uh, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And then 2 Samuel 22, verse 51, uh, a great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. So the context there for Second chap- uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22 is uh, that we are nearing the end of David's life, and this is uh, his song of deliverance that he sings Um, as the Lord delivers him from all of his enemies from the hand of Saul and whoever else is against him. He has this beautiful song of deliverance, and he calls himself the anointed. Now, the history here uh, with the words anointed are really important. Anointed um, is a translation of a Hebrew and a Greek word. The Hebrew word is Messiah, so Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed, and in Greek, the word for anointed is Christ. So when you say Christ Jesus, you're saying basically the anointed Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one. And there's a whole bunch of significance behind the anointing. But the, the point largely is that when you are anointed by God, you are set apart for a specific purpose or reason. And, uh, and Jesus, of course, is set apart to be the one by whom salvation would come. And uh, the, the kings were often anointed. There was uh, anointing of priests and all this sort of stuff. Jesus is the one who is both anointed as king and priest forever. Um, and he is, he is the one who, who comes to redeem Israel and the entire world from their sins. So that's, that's kind of the idea behind anointed. All right. Question number six, Matthew
0: chapter one. Uh, read Matthew chapter one verse twenty-three and Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. What does Emmanuel mean? Now, what do the genealogies of Matthew and Luke show us about God who sends His only Son?
2: Matthew chapter one verse twenty-three: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a direct reference to Isaiah seven fourteen. Uh, where God tells Ahaz uh, to ask for a sign. Ahaz refuses, and God says, this is the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, when translated from the Hebrew... Is God with us? That is the translation of the the name Emmanuel, and this is precisely what the entire issue of Lutheran Witness was about this month. So I won't spend too much time digging into it. You should go cph.org/witness and get your own copy so you can dig into this question entirely. But Christ now is the place where God dwells among His people in the midst of sinners, in the midst of scallywags like you and me, uh, though we are. This is precisely why Christ came, and I, I highly recommend uh, the the tabernacle article from Dr. Egger, where he talks about Jesus as the new tabernacle, the new place of God's presence on earth, uh, to really kind of dig into this issue or this idea of God dwelling with us.
0: Hmm. So these genealogies of Matthew and Luke show us uh, about God who sends his only son in, in, in really uh, great
2: ways. Yeah. I, God who sends his only son precisely for the sinners that fill the genealogy. This is the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. That that the genealogies are full of sinners. They're full of those for whom he came, full of names, once again, that are lost to the mists of time. And those are precisely the people he came for, came for people like you and me who need uh, what he comes to offer and what he comes to what he comes to give. Um, I think I, I said the, the list was scallywags, sinners, and, uh, rascals, and ruffians like you and me. Uh, mm-hmm. God anointed his son and sent his anointed son to be uh, king, priest, and sacrifice. Searching the
0: scriptures in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, our guest today, the Reverend Roy Askins, managing editor of The Lutheran Witness. Pastor Askins, thanks for joining us here in The Coffee Hour. Thank you for having
2: me. It's good to be here.
0: I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golceth.